and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I invite you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me to our passage for this morning, Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. So Genesis 15, 1 through 6. So the first book of the Bible, 15 chapters in. Look at the first six verses together this morning. Now, if you were with us last Lord's Day, you know we began our new fall series on the church. And it's weird to think that here we are, the last Sunday of July last week, the first Sunday of August today, that we're talking about something with the fall. But we are very much moving towards the fall schedule of our church. So how does all get out outside and humid and all that we are in our fall summer our fall sermon series on the church we're going to continue that this morning as we prepare uh, in the word come before the lord's table this morning we'll use of course genesis 15 1 through 36 uh, together this morning uh, if you find it let me pray for us as we come together now before god's word uh, we pray to you now you are our, our good our good god and our, our good father we ask that you would forgive all of our faults and our, our offenses, that you would illuminate us by your spirits, that you would graciously give your spirit to us so we may have the true understanding of your true and holy word, your perfect and errant infallible word. Give us the grace that we need so we may handle it rightly, may handle it faithfully and all for the glory of your holy name, and that this will be done for the edification of us as your church and for our salvation. And we ask these things in the name of the one and only blessed Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and we'll stand together now for the reading of God's word. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. It seems like whenever I, I turn on the television now, I'm going to... Eventually come across a show, one of these shows that seems to be so popular now, where the premise is they, they take a person or a group of people and they drop them off somewhere in the woods or the wilderness, supposedly somewhere far from civilization, and they have to survive some amount of time with, with close to, to no provisions. They don't they go in without a tent, without a backpack, without a compass, they go in uh, with no food, they have no water, they have Nothing much at all. And so the premise of the show is to see kind of who's tough enough, who's smart enough to survive the longest in these sort of conditions. And I find that you know, it's, it's interesting, just the way my, I guess the way my mind works, is, is of course this is all being videoed, uh, filmed for entertainment's sake. 
So I always wonder, as these people have close to nothing, no food, no water, and there's a cameraman sitting there, is the, is the cameraman ever kind of, you know, eating on a Snickers and, and drinking a Coke while watching these people suffer? Um, I don't know. I hate to say if I was a cameraman, I'd probably do that, but I probably would. But the question in these shows as you watch them pretty quickly comes to how long can they survive without food and water. And they can seem to make, easily make a shelter, start a fire. But how long can they go without food and water? Is it three days? Can they last three days? Can they last a week? Can they last three weeks? How long can they survive in a wilderness? There's no Chick-fil-A, no, no peach milkshakes, no, no McDonald's and Big Macs around. So how long can they go without food and water? That really leads into the question then of how long can anybody do that? How long can the average person survive without food and water? So as I looked that up, and I'm by no means a, a doctor or a scientist, so uh, just please keep that in mind, but in my research, the quick research I, I, I did, I found that a typical well-nourished person technically, and we're going to emphasize technically, but a typical well-nourished person has enough calories stored to survive without food for between one and three months. So how long can the average person go without food? Well, technically, one to three months. But they can only survive without water for three days. So we can technically go without food for a month or so, but we can go no longer than three days without water. Now, that's the technical side of it. Realistically, if you're anything like me, you may be able to go three days without food. Then after that, you're just in a bad state, right? You're, you're, you're hangry to the extreme. But we understand that food and water are basic essentials to life. We need food. We need water. But it's not just that we need food. We need a good diet. It's important to our bodies. It's important to our lives and our well-beings that we have a well-balanced diet in our lives. And we can look around at the world around us and we can see the implications of a bad diet. We can see what an imbalanced diet can do to somebody's body, what it can do to somebody's life. And so I was thinking about this and preparing this, but for whatever reason, my mind went back to you know, when I was younger and, and in youth group and we would have lock-ins from 7 in the evening till, till 7 in the morning. And we would just survive off of Doritos and Coke and Cheetos and donuts for 12 hours. As a 14-year-old, that seemed like nothing. 46-year-old now, I, I think about that diet, I just start to shudder. I don't know if I could do it now. We know that our bodies need food and water. It needs a well-balanced diet. It is essential to our lives. Without food and water, without a well-balanced diet, we will suffer and ultimately... We may die. So last Sunday we started our, our, our sermon series on the church by asking the question of what is the church? And there's several ways we can answer that question. We landed with Paul's definition from Colossians 1, where we define the church as being for the glory of Jesus. What is the church? Well, the church is for the glory of Jesus, but the church also comes from the glory of Jesus. So it's for, for glory, it's from glory. But Paul also tells us that Christ is the head of the body, 
the church is his body. So the church is a living organism. Why is it a living organism? Because Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is alive. And if the head of the body is alive, then the body must be also be alive. And as we will talk further on as we get into the series, the body is also alive because it is made up of people. The church isn't a building. The church isn't this beautiful sanctuary. The church is us. It's made up of the people of God. So the living Jesus is the head of the body of living people. It is a living organism. And every living organism depends upon the importance of a good diet. So the same is true for the church as a living organism There's the importance of a good diet. Since the church is the body of Christ, we are a living living organism, then that means the church is meant to have a good diet. Well, what is that diet? Is it Doritos and and Cheetos and Krispy Kreme and and Coke and and, and Mountain Dew? Jesus answered that for us in his temptation from Satan, we read about it in Matthew chapter 4. Satan came and said to him, or actually Satan is identified as the tempter. And he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So remember the context, Jesus has just been baptized. And as soon as he's baptized by John the Baptist, the spirit leads him out to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and the entire time he's fasting. As he gets to the end of that time, here comes Satan, who's a tempter, who's coming to try to find Jesus in his weakest human moments. And what's the first temptation he gives to Jesus? Jesus, if you are who you say you are, if your baptism means what it's supposed to mean, what everybody takes it to mean, then you should be able to take one of these rocks and turn it into a loaf of bread. And we're not talking about buying a loaf of some bean bread off of the, you know, the rack at, at KJ's or Food Lion. We're talking about that warm loaf of bread where you can still see the, the steam coming off of it and it's just begging for, for butter or honey or jelly. So here's Satan coming after Jesus and his weak, he's hoping to be one of his weakest human moments and says, you have not eaten in 40 days. Just take that stone, Jesus, and turn it into your mother's best recipe of bread and it's warm and it's steaming. You notice how Jesus answers them. It's what they Biblical, spiritual, like Mike Tyson S. Punch to the jaw. No, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus takes what Satan hopes to make the physical, but behind the physical is the spiritual, and he brings the spiritual out of it. No, Satan, what's important is the spiritual diet of God's word. So the church's diet is a spiritual diet. It's, it's a diet of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is beat up by God. So it's a diet of the Bible. 
So what's the well-balanced well diet for the church, for the body of Christ? It, it's this. It's what's open in front of you. It's what you read along with me this morning. It's the Bible, the Word of God. It's all 66 books. The Old Testament, the New Testament. These books that... Right, from Genesis, from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation, consists of God's inerrant and infallible word. What is our diet meant to be together as the church? It's, it's the very word of God. And that's why we have so much scripture in our service. I remember some years ago, we probably just been here for a year or two, maybe three years, and we had some folks from the community who came and visited with us one morning for worship and I saw them later on in the week, and I said, uh, I'm glad to have y'all join us, and I hope you enjoyed the service. And they said, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Y'all have a lot of Bible in your service. And the way it was said, it was like, it was a bad thing. That they couldn't understand why we would, why we would uh, sing the Bible, like we do with our Psalter, why we would pray God's Word, and we tried to incorporate those biblical themes, why we would we would read it a couple times. We would you know, hear it read. We would have service based upon it. Even when we would confess it, they, they, they don't understand why. Well, here's why. Man should not live by bread alone, but by the, every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is our diet. This is how our, our souls are fed. And we want to make sure our souls are fed as much as they can every Lord's Day. This is your Sunday feast. This is the Christian's Sunday feast before you go home for a typical southern Sunday dinner. Our souls are meant to feast before our bodies do on the Lord's Day. And like with any good diet, it needs to be more than one meal. That's why it's important we have Scripture in our daily lives, daily reading of Scripture, why we have our devotionals. That's why each of the vestibules you can find two devotionals for you to take home, free of charge. Because we want to help you have this proper diet of God's Word as the church. We want to feast on God's Word daily, not just once a week. Think about that in bodily terms. If we were just to eat one meal a week, right? Just once a week, we eat one meal a week. How would things go for us? It wouldn't go well, would it? So how do you think it goes for our faith when our souls are fed only once a week? And sometimes that's at best. Once every other week, every two or three weeks. Man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is our diet. That's the well-balanced diet for our soul and for our faith. But we find there's another aspect to this spiritual diet of the church, and that is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we find in front of us this morning. Over history, the, the table and this meal has been called the visible gospel. It's been called the, the visible word. Because think about what, what sits before us right now just under, uh, under that cover right there, under that sheet. We know there are four plates, three or four plates, filled with shortbread. And that shortbread is meant to point us to what? Jesus' body broken for your sins and my sins. And we know there's a big stack of uh, sterling silver trays in there. When we take the cover off, you know there's little cups in there filled with grape juice that these 
point us to Jesus' blood spilt for your sins and my sins. When we look at this table and we see the elements of bread and juice, we know we're not meant to just see bread and juice. But when we look at it through the eyes of faith in Jesus Christ, this faith tells us that there is more than what we see. There is more than what the eye beholds. The mind and faith of uh, the mind and heart of faith tells us that this is the spiritual body and blood of Jesus. That body broken, that blood spilt for our sins. That's why this table is called the visible gospel, the visible word, because it's a visual reminder of what we're taught in God's word. It's a it's a physical reminder of a spiritual truth and a historical truth, that there really is a Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ really is the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh and one in whom the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. And that Jesus Christ was truly born in a manger in Bethlehem. And that real and true historical Jesus died on the cross. Died as a legal criminal but as the eternal Savior died, his body broken and blood spilled, so our sins can be forgiven. It's a historical and spiritual truth that his suffering and death is what gives us the peace and joy of eternal life. As I've encouraged you before, I encourage you again this morning when we we pass the, the, the plate with the, when we pass the tray around with the cups. Before you drink it, take the cup and look at your hand, look at your arm, look at, your, look at some part of you and realize this is how God sees you. God sees you, in, when you are a Christian, God sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the perfect, atoning, cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. This is how he sees you. That is the spiritual reality. This is the visible gospel. We don't believe that this is the the literal physical body and blood of Jesus. right? When we take this, we're not literally eating the flesh of Jesus. We're not literally drinking his blood. This is a table of faith that we come to by faith. Because as a part of the spiritual diet for the church, this is what we are meant to. To, to consist of and to feast upon the visible gospel. And our passage this morning, at first glance, seems to have nothing to do with this. It's a prelude to God making a covenant with Abram. A, a covenant that is summarized by the prophet Jeremiah, I will be your God and you will be my people. This, this wonderful covenant that's made by God and is kept by God. As, we, as you read further on, see that's what happens. But God prepares Abram for his covenants. Takes him outside after midnight. It's dark. He says, Abram, look up at the sky. And, and, and count the stars if you can. That's how many of your offspring are going to be. And when we know the story, we know how amazing of a promise this is because Abram is old. His wife, Sarah, is old. They're past childbearing days. That's what Abram says to God. He said, you're going to do this. 
if you take a look at me, God, if you see my wife, don't know if it's going to happen. But God says, Abram, I promise. I promise you. I give you my word. As numerous as stars are in heaven, that's going to be your generations. How did this wrinkled, old, gnarled up man respond? He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the word and the promise of the Lord. We talk about justification by faith. This is what we see here. Abram, Abraham believes the promise of birth even though, humanly speaking, he is as good as dead. There's no way he and his wife are going to have children. But he believes God. So what does that have to do with us? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Have you ever thought about the, the, the songs, the music we teach our children in church? How much theology is filled in Father Abraham? How much theology is filled in Jesus loves me, this I know? But what's the theology of Father Abraham? Well, when we take it connected to the church, we remember, well, the, the church isn't just a building, it's God's people. Where God's people come from? Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. Many sons and daughters have Father Abraham. I'm one of them. And praise the Lord, so are you. We all come from Abraham. The covenant that God made with Abraham is, 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 is true for us. We all come from Father Abraham. And what example does Father Abraham set for us? Faith. Faith in the word and promise of God. Faith that his God can take him and his wife past child, well past childbearing days and to bring them children. But he sets for, them, sets for us the example of faith, the faith you and I need to have so we can come to his table rightly. Because here's the thing, none of us have physically seen Jesus. None of us have beheld the face of Jesus. None of us have walked side by side on the beach with Jesus. We have faith that he's real. Why? Because of the word and promise of God. None of us were in the upper room the night before Jesus was crucified when he got his disciples around the table and he took the Passover and instituted the Lord's Supper out of it. But we have faith to celebrate it that it really happened. Why? Because of the word and promise of God. And we can't always immediately see the spiritual benefit of coming to this table. But we have faith that there is spiritual benefit that God grows us through faith when we come right to his table. Why? Because of the word and promise of God. This table is a table of faith. Of, of a faith that who it points to is real. Jesus isn't a myth. He isn't, a, he isn't an allegory. He isn't a made up story. He is real. We have faith in that. We have faith in what it really points us that, that what it points to really happened, that Jesus was really crucified, that his body was really broken, his blood was really spilt. And we have faith of the benefits that come to us when we come to it through faith. This table 
It's a table of faith in God and his word and his promise. That's why our catechism teaches us that worthy receivers are by faith made partakers of the body and blood of Jesus with all of his, with all of his benefits to the spiritual nourishment and growth and grace. How are we worthy of it? We come to it by faith. So this table has always meant to be, to be a part of the spiritual diet of the church because it's the visible gospel. It points us through faith to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Where we spiritually feast on the benefits of his life and suffering, death, and resurrection is the meal that God uses to continue to grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what we are called to do is to rest or to receive and rest upon Jesus alone for salvation as he has been offered in the gospel. And when we do that, and we come to his table by faith, and our souls are fed, our faith is strengthened. And we walk out of here having one of the best spiritual meals of an eternity. Because we come by faith to the table that points us to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who he is and what he has done for us. And the promises of being his for eternity. So may each of us this morning come in that faith to this table of faith. Pray with me.